Good morning. Great to see each of you here. It's a wonderful weekend. Come together on the first day of the week and uh, have fellowship with one another, but even more importantly that, be able to praise, honor, and glorify the God Almighty that we serve and are so thankful of the things that he does for us each day. You know, it's kind of interesting, the title I gave this lesson, which I'm kind of working on a lesson, which we'll get to towards the end of Ecclesiastes even more, but here in verse 7, if you were just, if I was to sum up all of 1 through 7, it would just be the last few words of verse 7, fear God, fear God. And you know, a lot of people, they talk about how loving and how kind God is, and God is loving and kind, and we'd have a chance if he wasn't. But if you didn't think he's serious, and you wouldn't understand, if you don't live according to him, you better be terrified. And you better show him respect. And you better realize we need to fear God. So these 1 through 7 deal with a lot of things, and we'll go on through as we're going into the book of Ecclesiastes and going through it. Uh, Here in verse 5, he mentions so much. One thing he says Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near and listen rather than offering sacrifice of fools for they um, do not know that they're doing evil. They don't know they're not doing evil because they don't listen. That's his point. You got to listen. You got to pay attention. You got to learn. Isn't that interesting? A passage we use a lot in the plan of salvation is Romans ten seventeen, but it just doesn't work for that. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've got to know what the book says. And he says, guard your steps while you're going to the house. Now, we don't have a physical temple of God like they did. The church, the brethren, are God's sanctuary, God's temple. When we assemble together, this building's not holy, but what we do is to be holy. And so it could be the point, we could maybe draw the example, when you go to worship God, well, he says you better be thinking about it when you're on the way. You know, a lot of times we just click it on and click it off right at that door. Christianity doesn't work like that. Yeah, like the one that says if you're not a Christian everywhere, you're not a Christian anywhere. Now, that's not a quote from the Bible, but the concept, we could turn to a lot of passages that will show you that concept is stated over and over again in the Bible just like here. We need to guard our ways. I think about it as we get on into this and we look at these two. He said, do not be hasty in your words. Matter of fact, says, let your words be few. You better make sure when you say something, it is what you need to say. Sometimes when your words are hasty, you say things you ought not to say. And a lot of times people talk off the top of their head instead of making sure that's what God would have them to say. A lot I think about when we come together to worship God, John 4, uh, verses 23 and 24. Verse 24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God's not just a physical being like we are. He's totally eternal. He's always been and always will be, and that's beyond my feeble comprehension, but I trust it's so. And when I'm going to come together to worship God with brethren, I try to remember this isn't like anything else I do all week. It's not like anything else I do all week. It's so much more important than anything else I do all week. 
Because let me tell you what, we are in as we worship. Whether we're singing or praying or there's teaching or preaching going on or we're taking the Lord's Supper or we're giving, we are in the presence of God. As much as a fellow named Moses was at a burning bush, he demands as much respect when we worship as he did with Aaron right after his sons had been struck dead before him. And he tells him, get that sad countenance off your face. Remember, I'm paraphrasing. Remember, you're about to lead these people in worship, and I demand honor and respect. Wow. I think sometimes we can get too casual with it. We don't understand. This is way more important than your job. This is way more important than dinner. Way more important than health care. You guys want me to just go? I could give you a list, but I'm not going to go. It is far beyond anything else. I think about another passage. People fall into this trap. They fell into it then, and Jesus would mention it. And Matthew, we'll turn to some here in a little while. I'll mention some in flying by. Matthew uh, chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. Here's what their problem was. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, especially when I was young. I used to be guilty coming and singing the words, but if we the end of the song, you ask me what we just sang or even what the song was, I wasn't paying attention. I was just going through the motions. Now, I know the importance of this statement, but it's really not a very good concept. Have you ever heard this? Just fake it till you make it. Well, let me tell you what, you better get it on straight before you ever approach God. You better understand Not that you don't need to be here, even if your heart's wrong, you better get here and get your heart right. You know, even here later, Lord willing, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. And one of the key facets of the Lord's Supper is I'm supposed to examine Vernon. No, I'm not. I'm supposed to examine Kathy. No, I'm not. You got to look at Kendall. You got to examine yourself. When I think about what that represents and what it is to approach God, it is amazing. So Solomon, with all this wisdom, you do notice he, here in a little while, he's going to talk about wisdom, but he talks about fools too. So he says, we don't want to be seen as fools before God. If you look on down at verses 3 through 6, I'm not going to hit them all. I don't have time of every verse. But if you look at verse 4, it says, when you make a vow to God, Make a vow. You know, I've made some vows to God. Have you made some vows to God? More than 46 years ago, I made a vow to Tammy and to God. See, that's what the world loses. They think marriage is just between two people. They forget that you are making a vow before God. When you become a Christian, When you confess faith in Jesus Christ and repent and put on Christ, you just made a vow to God. You made a vow to God, God, I thank you so much that I can count on you. Now you can, I make a vow, you can count on me from this day forward. That's how come I say what I say when I sin, I'm so ashamed. Wow, I'd really like to get lost in that. But we look at this and think about how important this is. He says, so when you made it, pay for it. Do it. Wow. And then he goes on. He says a whole lot of things. I like verse 5. It's better that you not vow than you should make a vow and not pay for it. 
A lot of people, a lot of words, but never come through. Why'd they even say they'd do it in the first place? They never intended to do it. And even if they did, they didn't. You know, sometimes if you give somebody your word, whatever it costs you, just got to suck it up. Maybe you shouldn't have gave them your word. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Well, you should have kept your mouth shut, shouldn't you? That's his point. If you look on at the next verse there in verse 6, do not let your speech cause you to sin. Wow. Turn with me to something in the New Testament here. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 14. Look at this. And this is during an assembly and during worship, but I want you to see something here. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 19. Listen to this. Just think how this, how this works and how this applies. However, in the church, talking about the assembly, I desire to speak five words with my mind or understanding so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in tongues. Now, I'm going to tell you, they're talking about having a miraculous gift of speaking in tongues. He says, well, if I speak in a foreign language, if I speak something you don't understand, I wasted everybody's time. We need to be understood. I always take it as a great compliment when I travel somewhere, whatever. said, man, I really appreciate that lesson. I understood everything you said. I said, well, I wish I understood everything I said. But, you know, still you look at that, and we need to make sure it's plain and simple. But he says we need to do it with our mind, with our understanding. We need to be in control. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7 in that Talking about prayer, it talks about meaningless repetition. It's not wrong to repeat yourself. The Bible repeat. Tammy and I was talking that, about that on the way here. The way, way you got to remember, you got to be reminded, you got to remember. I say those words a lot. You know, Jesus used those words a lot. Remember, 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 remind, remind. So it's not wrong to repeat yourself. It's wrong to just repeat yourself and it be meaningless. You know, you're heard for your much speaking. You say the same things over and over again. I'm not saying you can't say the same things and mean it. Don't hear me saying something I'm not. But again, sometimes, just like in singing in our prayer, we just go through the motions. We pray with our lips, but our heart's far from him, just like we sing sometimes. Jesus would say it like this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 37. Here it is, plain and simple. Let your yes be yes. You know, nothing gets under Kimball's skin much faster than I ask someone a question and they say everything, but they don't answer my question. It's a simple question. It deserves a simple, what was all that? You sure made a lot of noise, a lot of noise come out of your mouth, but you didn't answer my question. Every time I turn on the news, I think that's what they do. But in the religious world, it's worse. Let your, Jesus just says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I think about one other passage when I think about speech. I think about a lot of it. But one other one I really think about is Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for edification and the need of the moment. Ah, we've got to make sure what comes out of our mouth is holy. I think about that as you look further here in verse 7, though. For in many dreams and in many words, there's emptiness. Yeah, a lot of times it's just a bunch of nonsense. Rather, fear God. 
I want to look at just, well, matter of fact, I could turn to a few places in Proverbs because he states this more than once. But go over to Proverbs 1, Proverbs 1 and verse 7. Listen to this, Proverbs 1, 7. This same thing stated again in, in Proverbs 9 and verse 10, but he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Did you hear that? I better pay attention. This is important. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'm not going to go to no Bible class. I'm not going to go. I know it. I don't need them to help me. They're bored. That's boring. You're a fool. I didn't say it. Take it up with Solomon and the Holy Spirit. He said, I tell you what, you need to fear the Lord. It's the beginning of knowledge. So while we're on that idea of fearing the Lord, oh man, there's so many places. We'd be here for a long time. I'd cover them all. But go over to Hebrews 10. I'd like to back up here, but I don't have time. <laughs> Hebrews 10 and verse 31. Hear this. It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the wicked. Should we fear God? It's a terrifying thing fall in the hands of the wicked. God means business. He means exactly what he says. He demands. He doesn't just deserve. He demands respect. Turning back to Ecclesiastes uh, 5, verses 8 and 9, he says, If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the United States, province, in your area, do not be shocked at the sight. We act like it's never happened before. For one official watches over another official. Boy, don't they. They don't ever watch over themselves. And there are higher officials over them. And I tell you who's over them all, my heavenly Father. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. Wow. What in the world is he talking about? Well, one thing you need to remember, God makes a few promises. Do you know that in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, it says, all who live godly will be persecuted. Don't be surprised when that happens. But realize, usually things will work out. We have an interesting whole uh, governmental system in the United States far different than they lived under. But I do think it's interesting, especially when you get to the New Testament of the church. Do you know, it's, it's funny to me, it's, it's different that Paul or Peter or James or John, or we can mention every, every preacher, do you know they never taught that the church ought to rise up and um, withstand physically against the government? They ought to overthrow it. Do you know it's never taught? It's taught submit, submit, submit. Do you know you think our government, do you, do you know anything about the Romans that were in charge when Jesus and the apostles were here? Did they, you know, we got the whole abortion thing. Don't get me wrong. You guys know I'll talk to you about it anytime you guys want to hear about it. And it's contrary to the morals and ethics of the Bible. But did the Romans kill innocent people? Oh, yeah, on a regular basis. Innocent Christians said, let, you know, when I read these few verses right here, verse 8 and 9, enkindles 
crazy way of talking. He's saying, don't worry, give them a walk around the room. They think they're in charge. This is not me speaking. This is what God said. God said, I'm in charge. And everyone can be in charge. You can't always fix it here. You know, and it isn't about fixing here. It's about people's lives being corrected with God so it's fixed there and for eternity. Oh, man, there's so much to say there. Wow. Go on down in Ecclesiastes 5, um, verses 10 through 12. He's going to hit on this again. He hit on this a lot. And it's funny being an American that hits on this so much. He who loves money. I love money. You better change your ways. He who loves money. I think I read somewhere out of 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, 11, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. He who loves money will not be satisfied. Got to have more, got to have more, got to have more, got to have more, got to have more. I mean, if they have 100, they want 1,000. If they got 1,000, they want 10,000. If they got 10,000, they want 100,000. If they want 100. Wow, numbers get so big. I think about our national debt. Trillions, trillions of dollars this country has borrowed from many foreign entities. I did the numbers the other day. Our government has borrowed nearly $100,000 on every human that lives in the United States. For every one of you and every other human. Wow. So trillions, that's way too many zeros for me. I mean, it's just way too big. But you look at that. This guy knew trillions. This guy who wrote this, not his government, he had the value in today's dollars of two over $2 trillion. This guy, whoa, man. So when he talks about money, it's interesting. Nor he who loves abundance with its income, this too is vanity. He, he continues on in the next two verses. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. You know when I read that, you know what I instantly thought of? Let me ask you this. It seems like people don't understand this. If the minimum wage goes up, what happens to the cost of things? They go up. So your income increase, but how about your outflow? And usually the outflow increases more than the income. You know that says that right here in the Bible. Look right there, it says, and good things increase, those who consume them increase, so what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? Just keep on going. Wow. God always gets right to it, doesn't he? Oh, if we had time, we'd turn over to Matthew 19, verses 23 through 26. And he talks about how difficult, brethren, this is serious, and we need to fear the Lord, how difficult it is for rich people to get to heaven. He uses something that's strange there. When he says this, it's more difficult for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Now you can all discuss on what that eye of the needle is, but the apostles' conclusion was that's impossible. And then Jesus would say, you are right. With man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But I don't want you to miss the point. 
It's nearly impossible. It is impossible without God for rich people to get to heaven. And he says, he says, it's more difficult for rich people. Now, I always think we want to compare ourselves to the filthy rich so we don't come across as rich. I've been looking this up, and I can't get an exact number yet, but I'm going to try to get it. I can tell you that everyone in this room, the homes you live in, the income of that household far exceeds the average income of the family in this room. We are filthy rich when you compare us to all mankind on the planet. I mean filthy rich. Most of them, how many of you got a refrigerator at home? You're rich. How many of you drove a car, rode in a car here today? You're rich. You want me to keep going? How many of you got more than the clothes on your back and one change? You're rich. You got to have 5,000 feet to wear all your shoes. You're rich. I mean, you look at it. We have such an abundance. It's amazing. And I can tell you, Americans a lot of times throw away more food in a week than most people consume on this planet. And I know I used to be listening to my mom, you know, some kids over in India would love to have that. Mom, box it up and ship it to them, man. That's good. But no, you look at that. We're just so wealthy. And the, here's what happens. Yeah, I want to go to heaven, but not right now. I'm enjoying it right here. If you got a miserable existence, you're ready to go today. You can easily fall in love with the world. It isn't wrong to be blessed with these things. Solomon was, God blessed him with wealth, right? With wisdom and wealth. So it was a blessing from God, but you've got to keep it under control, and you've got to remember where it comes from. Oh, so much, though. Oh, then I think about as we go on into this chapter, into uh, 13 through 17, he mentioned some one-liners I just love here. In verse 15, as he came naked from his mother's womb, he will return as he came. How much are you taking with you? Well, in case you don't know, verse 16. This also is grievous exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. You brought nothing in, you know what you're going to take with you? Nothing. You're going to take what God gave you, your eternal being. You better make sure it's in a condition where it's going to spend it with him. You know, over in Luke chapter 12, you remember the guy that was blessed with so much in his crops and he's going to build bigger barns so that he could live a life of leisure? A lot of Americans live like that, right? They don't work hard all this part of their life, so they have a lot put away so they can live in abundance the latter part of their life and do nothing. Have you ever, and I have, and this doesn't happen to everyone, have you ever seen people that worked hard all their life to get to retirement, and they retire, and in the first year they retire, they die? And sometimes they scrimped and saved and did nearly nothing, and then they leave it behind, and you'll get to this in Ecclesiastes, people who did nothing to accumulate these things and will waste it on things that will never be used. Wow. I think I read somewhere Jesus said, don't lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up your treasures in heaven. You know, that's easy to preach and hard to practice. we got to remember. And so he talks about, you know, we've got to be wealthy, rich, 
towards God. We've got to remember that. He mentioned several things here. Um, go on down, and we'll try to wrap this up. 18 through 20 here. Listen to these words. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting. Let's hear it. Here's what I've to eat. I like that. To drink, to enjoy oneself in all his labors in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, where did our riches and wealth come from? We better remember where it comes from. It isn't yours. He has also empowered him to eat from them and receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. So I've listened to it so many times. We end our worship service and we have a closing prayer. And since we share a meal together, that food is mentioned. And I've never had anyone say, God, we'd just like to thank ourselves for the food we supply you. I think people live like that. But hold, we thank God for the food he supplied. We thank him for the hands that prepared it, but there wouldn't be anything to prepare, and there wouldn't be any hands to prepare it if it wasn't a gift from God. So you better, you know, I think we, he says just when you eat a meal, you better realize you're being blessed by God. Oh, this is good stuff. God, you're great. When you drink a glass of water, God is wonderful. We got water to drink. I've had people sometimes say, I don't drink water. I don't like water. I said, I bet if you didn't have all that other nonsense in there, you'd like water more. But we read on. He says in verse 20, for he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness in his heart. Did you hear that? When you don't have anything to do, your mind races to a bunch of stupidity. You worry about everybody else and everything else. If you got to work to put food on the table and a shirt on your back and a roof over your head and you've got to keep busy day in, day out, you're just glad you have it. You're focused on that gladness, and God gave you that work for that reason. So you're, But while you're here, here's what I try to tell people. You know, we sing it in songs, toiling on, toiling on, toiling on. You know, I'm planning on rest. I'm planning on retirement. The retirement I'm looking for is when I hear this. Enter in thou good and faithful servant. And then we get rest. But while we're here, we're to work for the Lord. We're to do what he's called us to do. I can't go over all these, so I'll just mention them real quick. Uh, like in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Paul talks about he's learned how to be content with much and with little. And let me tell you one thing for sure. If you can't be content with hardly anything, getting a bunch won't make you content. If you think it will, you've been fooled. You've got to be content with whatever you have. Of course, we've got to remember like in Matthew 6 and verse 33, we just got to remember seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God will take care. You can read the context right before it. The food, the shelter, and the clothing. Quit trying to do his job. So in conclusion, verse chapter 12 and verse 13 of Ecclesiastes. In conclusion, when all has been heard, what's he say? First thing, fear God. He said that back in chapter 5. He says it in between them too. Fear God. 
I've told you before and I'll say it again. I think a lot of people fear God and keep his commandments. I think a lot of people say thinks when all has been heard, keep his commandments. Well, there's something comes before keeping commandments. I bet you guys know this. Some of you played baseball before sometimes. If you hit the ball and you run straight to second base, how will that work out? You're out. Do you know you got to go to first base before you go to second base? Did you know that? That's why they're numbered. First, second, third. When you're good, you get to come home. Before you get to the commandment keeping, you got to remember when all has been heard, fear God. And they're conjoined. And keep his commandments. Why? Because this applies to all of you and not me. Pretty sure that still says to every person. Why? Look at verse 14. For God, here's why you better fear God and keep commandments, because God will bring every act into judgment. Everything, everything. I'm going to look at everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. I'm going to look at it all. Can I hide things from you pretty easily? I could. How much can I hide from God? And he sees us from the inside. You remember over there in that passage we talked about in Matthew? They worship me with their lips, but what did God know? Their hearts. He didn't just know the action, he knew the intent. Now we only get to see the actions. God knows whether we're for real. The intents. So I think about this chapter here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we just need to remember when it all gets down to it, you can chase everything you want on this planet, but it's all vain long run, it's all worthless. It's all going to be burned up. I don't care how nice a car you have, how nice a house you have, how much money you got in the bank. Oof. But the word of God and your eternal soul will last forever. Therefore, we need to fear God and keep his commandments. We're going to have an invitation song. If you need to respond to that by putting on Christ in baptism, because you believe what the Bible says about Jesus, you're willing to confess that and repent, then we encourage you to come and put on Christ in baptism today. If you're a Christian and you lost your way and you haven't been showing God the respect and honor, you haven't been fearing God and keeping his commandments, if we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.